Hello and welcome to another episode of the Beyond Human Relations series of the Future Based Podcast with me, your host, Jaitna Pai. I'm really excited for today's conversation where I'll be speaking with Ileana Hersky Douglas about animal computer interaction, the interesting research she has been doing, and what really goes into designing technology for animals. Ileana is an assistant professor in animal computer interaction at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. Her research explores how animals interact with computer systems and how to design and build methods to capture this interaction. Hi Ileana, it's really great to have you here. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Lovely to speak to you. So when I first found out about the research you were doing, I was really intrigued because I really hadn't come across anything very similar before. I really didn't even know that animal and computer interaction was a big field that people were spending a lot of time on, which maybe that's my fault, but it was interesting to see. So I guess the first question I really have is what does animal computer interaction entail nowadays and previously? Yeah, well, I guess animals have been using computers for a long time. You know, we, we can go all the way back to like the, the Lana project where they use lexagrams um, to communicate and, uh, you know, dolphins have been using them for a while. But really sort of animal computer interaction is sort of the recent um, shift towards how can we build these computers really with animals in mind. So how do we build interactive devices and how do we design this and how do animals really use this towards their affordances and towards their wants, these different technologies. Yeah, that's really interesting because I just hadn't thought of it before, but I can see that it would be quite a useful project potentially to go into these things. So it's really cool. And when I did also go to your website the first time, I saw a lot of stuff with dogs and I also saw some stuff about zoos. And I thought that that was quite an interesting split between more animals in the home and animals in zoos. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about one of the projects you've done for dogs so we can get kind of an idea of the work you do. Yeah, so I sort of fell into this research a little bit uh, by accident. I got my dog and I just fell completely in in love with him. We would watch TV a lot together and I thought it would be super cool if he could control the TV device himself. And so I started to look at if we were going to approach this really from a user-centered value, what we, we call an interaction design. So really, how do we focus this on the animal and how do we make technology that's usable by the animal for the animal. I really started to sort of break this down and rather than give them buttons or something more traditional like this in how can we take the the animal's ordinary interactions so the dog's ordinary interactions in the home and allow this to control the technology in the home so in this case the TV device. And so this is really sort of where all my uh, technology advances really started with it was really with my dog and me just trying to build sort of quirky technology in the home for him. So is this how you got into the field entirely or were you already kind of moving in the direction of looking into animal computer interaction? Oh no, this this was the entire, uh, yeah, how I got into it. Before I did sort of my undergrad and my master's in just pure computer science. And then when I had this like uh, wonderful ideas to start building stuff for dogs in the home is really how I sort of found the uh, animal computer interaction field and started really building into it here. At the time, Clara Mankini had just written her like ACI manifesto. So what the field should really sort of strive towards this idea that animals can consent to using technologies and that we should really design with animals in mind. But because this has only just come about, this was back in like 2011, this was around 2013. 
I started building all this technology. All these ideas of really what does technology look like and what is really, how do we really design for an animal user was so uh, loose and uh, arguably I would say still are kind of loose in this sense. So my my building of technology sort of very much coincided with the sort of the start of the field. And so I'm very lucky in this way that as I've grown more into the space, so has the field grown at the same time. Yeah, I can see how that would be quite lucky to be getting into it at a time where a lot of people were maybe starting to get into it and take it more seriously as a field. So you've talked about now how you got into animal computer interaction with your dog. How did you then move into the space of zoos or different spaces with animals that maybe aren't always in the home and maybe don't have a single owner? Yeah, so this one um, came about, so I had been building sort of screen systems, building from all these sort of ideas that a dog can control its own TV device for for my dog and other dogs, so whether they could turn on and off the TV and whether they could look between multiple screens for instance to choose and sort of like machine learning methods for this and then uh, I moved to I was originally in in England and then I moved to Helsinki in Finland to do my postdoc after I finished my PhD on this lovely sort of dog tech when I was over there I started to think okay maybe I can expand because I have all this such specialized knowledge and and how you build technology for dogs that maybe I could expand this into different areas and there's been some lovely work by like Sarah Weber you know Anne Morrison on sort of building technologies for zoos at this point and I thought okay this would be really interesting to sort of take all the knowledge that I had an animal like with dogs and apply this to zoos so I approached Kokuzari Zoo in Helsinki and we started talking about the different animals we could work with and we sort of settled upon white-faced sake monkeys over there we started to look at sort of what really technology does a monkey want in a zoo so very much still from the ground similar to what I did with the dogs you know what does an, an animal want with technology how can we build technologies that are really usable by monkeys because traditionally in zoos they give them often these like tablet screen devices but these are really made for sort of human human hands and sort of the way that humans interact in the world. Similar with, I guess, with dog traditional devices have been through buttons and keyboards. And so I started to sort of break this back down and how do we build technologies for monkeys in the zoos? Of course, this is, you have a little bit of always different problems because when you work with dogs, you have obviously, you have the dog's carer, you have me as, you know, an interaction designer and a technology builder. And then you have anyone else. So if you worked with a dog shelter, you would have their opinions as well. As in zoos, we now have a totally different context where we have myself and all of my knowledge. You have the, you know, the, the animal's keeper. You also have the zoo visitors to take into account, as well as, you know, the different research departments in the zoo. And so it was just a sort of a wonderful learning experience on how to work across these two different contexts. So it is quite different in the sense of stakeholder management, as well as thinking about putting the animal first and kind of keeping a lot of different groups of people happy and designing for all of them while designing for the animal. Yeah, I mean, because you you always want to build technology that's, you know, used by the animal and that is fit for the animal, but the zoo is the one that also has to maintain this technology. So for instance, we once had something in the zoo that required the keepers to change the battery daily. And this didn't work quite well because, you know, often keepers get busy or they forget to charge the battery and so the technology goes off. And then the animal doesn't always understand that the technology is off. So you have to make something more stable. So you get all these like wonderful learning processes. So when I would build stuff with my dog, my dog doesn't typically chew things, for instance. 
So I could try with him quite low fidelity prototypes. And um, we had a lot of fun building together. It's when you work with monkeys, they will bite everything straight away and grab things and they will chew wires. And so you working with these different users is such a wonderful learning process across and you just face different challenges. But at the same time, because I have a background in building stuff for humans, I took a lot of the lessons that I learned from how you gather what a human needs and how you gather what a human wants and sort of applied this towards the, you know, originally towards my dog and looked at sort of the learning that took place. You know, a dog can't speak, it can't answer a questionnaire back and, you know, how, how it finds the technology or whether it's challenging. So you, you have to make a lot of space for really the dog to be able to choose and make decisions and really infer from their behavior. And then when I went to the zoo, we, you know, the same space giving and the same sort of allowances on different ways of finding out about how the animal experiences technology still applies to monkeys. So you have these different contexts, but really the same sort of lessons. Yeah, I can see how that would also happen. Because I was just thinking, because if dogs and monkeys are quite different, then it's like humans, dogs and monkeys are almost individual sections as opposed to humans versus animals as a whole with human computer interaction and then animal computer interaction. But I would imagine that potentially different species of animals each have their own completely different way of interacting with technology so there's a lot more within just animal computer interaction as well yeah i mean but you could also see it from the the flip side of things where we as humans are also just animals so maybe, maybe i'm just a, a broader designer the designs for various different animals that in, that include humans yeah i wanted to go back to actually what you were talking about with like the buttons and screens how do animals interact better than what are some ways that maybe you have learned from your projects that are ways that allow animals to interact more naturally in a way that feels organic for them as opposed to something that is a more human tool that we are then forcing on them yeah i guess the, like this is the way that i work but I, I think both ways can be used with animals right so if you have an animal that needs to do a task so if it's an animal that is in a working context such as an animal that's caring for someone who has you know diabetic and needs to call for help or a military animal or so far then it's really important that these animals use the technology in a certain way. So I think buttons and these sorts of devices do have their place in animal technology. It's just because I build more on this entertainment and I guess welfare side of technology. Often when I work with dogs or monkeys at the zoo, you know, we don't have enough time or enough resources, especially at the zoo, to really train the animal to use this technology. So to train them to touch a screen or touch a button and um, to shape their behavior in this way. So when you're working with, a, you know, an organization that doesn't have a lot of time, doesn't have a lot of resources, is, you know, they spend most of the time directly caring for the animal. Building technology that allows the animal to use it autonomously without training is so powerful here that it allows the animal to sort of use the system when it wants as it wants and then also we have this like wonderful thing of not using the system you know a lot of the technology that i build in some cases the animal doesn't doesn't use it at all and you know this is their choice and it gives them a lot more autonomy over using it or not using it and choosing to access whatever the technology is giving them whether it's sort of music or videos heating lighting whatever you know i build the technology for you know there's a lot of research around supporting an animal's autonomy and supporting animal making choices increases their welfare overall. And so I think we often, you know, keep dogs in our homes in shelters or we keep animals in zoos and they have so little control over their life that I think technology here has 
can really aid in this process. So giving them the choice and having them not choose it is in itself a success in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So if you if you take like traditionally how they would test animals' mu music preference, if we just take this like one tiny aspect of technology, traditionally you would just play this inside the animal's enclosure and then you'd measure the animal's behaviors, whether it's stressed or, you know, whether they increase certain behaviors or whether certain other behaviors reduced. But by the time you've already measured this behavior, this is already happening. And so I think it's a much more animal-focused way instead to give animal direct control over whether or not to play it. But then, of course, you face, because you've never trained the animal to the technology, you face all these problems of, you know, how does an animal understand they're interacting with technology? Uh, you go through all these different iterations of building technologies for them and how can they use it? And, you know, we as humans, we're so used to using things with our fingers, picking up and like pressing with our thumbs on the phone or typing on the keyboard. But it, when you don't train an animal to use a computer, you have to really get sort of inventive with how you get an animal to turn on and even turn on and off a computer. If you think about it without buttons or touch screens, how do you do this? Is there any way in this kind of thing where you can definitely record that the animal knows what they're doing? Or can you figure out if it is playing the music or not? Even if it's not that it's interacting with the computer, because I guess, yeah, I don't know what that would be like, if an, uh, how to tell if an animal knows it's engaging with technology. But can you measure whether an animal knows what it's causing? Well, Stephen North once wrote this really lovely paper where he said that all animals exist along a continuum of understanding and we don't really know where they exist on this understanding, both in the, you know, in the understanding of the world and also in the understanding of this includes technology. So the technology that I build, usually what I do is I sort of see how the animal uses their space normally. And then I put the technology in that offers them different things and see how this changes their use of space. So from their different behaviors and their different interactions like this, I can then sort of use statistics and sort of different methods to look at whether this, because this is the only change that's happened often in their environment, whether this causes them to change their behaviors or anything like this. But then it's, it's always a good question of do they intentionally know this is happening, especially when you work with screen devices, for instance, with monkeys. We built this lovely tunnel device with another researcher called Vilma Kampa, and the monkeys would go inside of it and it would turn on a video device and they could see different videos. And we did this study for a couple of months with them so it was a long study and they it was just running constantly inside their enclosure they could use it 24 7 whenever they wanted but how we as a human interact with tv is you know or videos we sit we sit down in front of it and we directly face it but we found that often how monkeys that in this case interacted with the video it was often they didn't stand still they would often move around they sometimes would sit at an angle to the screen so it's all these different uh, behaviors and this really sort of i think is really really beautiful in the sense that it really enlarges what we see as interaction with screens because we're so used to designing for humans as computer scientists that this sort of expands what we we can see as interaction and sort of expands how we can see animals interacting with technology especially because i guess it was but things like screens because we've seen them so much just in human context it's really hard to start from like a completely unbiased thing of expecting 
completely unexpected things, just being like, let's see what happens. We have no way to know. But always kind of compa- comparing it to the human context, I guess it's difficult to leave that human context behind even while designing for animals then. Yeah, I mean, even when you design for the humans, we inherently design, you know, in part for ourselves and in part what we know about ourselves. So I think this is really the beautiful thing that comes when designing for animals is that you have to leave your sort of biases and all your sort of inbuilt what you believe is going to happen sort of at the door and if you don't that an animal you know can leave this for you later on when you look at the data I think Vilma's thesis was actually called uh, designing for the unknown because she she felt so strongly it was in this sort of very complex and very sort of you don't know really what's going to happen next space. Yeah, and I guess it must be difficult in some sense to not be able to get that direct feedback from the people you're designing for in the sense of are they enjoying it if they're facing away or do we assume that maybe they're not enjoying it just because they're not engaging with it the way we would expect someone to engage with it or is that not so much of a problem yeah enjoyment is a big problem right because you know we as humans we can watch tv or watch media that we we don't necessarily enjoy you know there's all this like research around people scrolling through instagram and you know getting hooked into these dark patterns of things and so i never really classify an animal as using technology as enjoyment for this reason because we don't really know why they're accessing the technology there could be so many different reasons and i kind of believe that while we discover and learn more about animals and we sort of attribute more emotions that animals can experience these different emotions i mean there's a lot of discourse at the moment around this octopus farming and you know octopuses can experience all these different emotions and the more we learn about animals the more we recognize that they can have this huge spectrum of different experiences and this could well be beyond also our own spectrum of experiences you know we as humans can only really recognize or you know attribute something that we recognize a lot of the time and so i think it's very hard to put down a really stake definition on what does an animal experience but i also think it's very important to have these conversations around how do we make meaningful experiences and what does meaning making look like in technology for animals yeah i guess that's also what i wanted to ask you next was why do you think it's important then that we spend time in this and what do you think it can achieve yeah, I think this is such such huge impl- implications, really. For the animal themselves, I think by looking at how they use technology, we can, first of all, learn more about the animal. We can hopefully improve their welfare and the standards of living through giving these technologies that allow them to do different things. Whether it's, you know, like I said before, turning on the, off the lights or just these simple little things that we really take for granted as humans, um, but animals often get no control over. And then also, you know, from an, if, for instance, when I work with zoos, it's really nice when children visit and they see animals using this technology because it's really such a good demonstration of just how intelligent and how complex these animals are. And so I think it can have a sort of a knock-on effect of really helping in the education aspect around animals. And then also, if we look even wider into this, you know, the One Health agenda and all of this, where we're starting to, and, you know, COVID has really highlighted this out, that the way that we treat the world and the environment really also impacts upon our own health. And so I think by improving animals' health, we can also then help improve ours and the environments. And it's sort of this One Health and joint approach that I really think is needed for, you know, technology advancements and also for human welfare reasons. Oh, what would it look like if you were to design maybe for animals that aren't in human-controlled spaces? Yeah, I guess I've never worked in this space because it's, it's it comes with such complex ethical challenges for me, right? Do we as humans 
really want to go into these spaces. You know, the, these animals that aren't in human controlled spaces often have a lot of choices. And, you know, if we have a wolf in the wilderness, it decides where it wants to go. It maintains its own family and hunting and everything all on its own. Do, do they really need us, right? And me as a person, I can't really decide either way on this. So I don't think it's ethical for me then to work in a space where, where I'm not so sure it's the correct thing. So in your mind, then the goal is sort of to provide agency in a space where they otherwise wouldn't. So the main goal with providing technology to animals is to give them agency where they don't have much. Yeah, is to give them agency and choices and really to improve the current technology that's out there. Especially when, uh, I mean, in zoos, there's very little technology out there at the moment. But when we talk about dogs and we talk about cats and all these animals that we keep at home in domestic spaces, there is a lot of technology coming in these animals you know we get these uh, laser pointers for cats or treat giving devices for dogs or such cognitive tasks as pressing buttons when lights hit and different things like this but a lot of this technology i think is really wonderful because it helps connect dogs and humans together or dogs and cats or other animals that use this because i think any time spent with you know your animal learning something is always bonding and sort of wonderful experience but I also see the, the the looming dark side, I guess you would say of it, is that, you know, we don't want this technology to replace the human-animal bond. We don't want this technology to cause, for instance, if it was a laser and, you know, cats would chase lasers impulsively and you could use the system for 12 hours a day, right? This is not going to be so good for your cat's welfare. So there's a lot of also potential dangers with this technology. And so while I design a lot for agency, I also want to, in my work, sort of highlight all the potential that, that is out there for this technology when we talk about domesticated animals in the home, because there's so much that can be done more than what is, is currently being done. So what do you think maybe the future of animal-computer interaction looks like? Or what do you think it could look like? So I think at the moment we're, you know, we have these different stages, I guess, is how I feel we're going to go through with animal technology. I think at the moment, you know, we originally started off by animals using very human-like devices. This was great for, you know, animal, animal science and animal cognition and behavioral research. We learn a lot about animals from this. But then when we take this more into the entertainment side of things, I think we're now sort of moving on to building bespoke products for animals. So you, you get all these, you know, bespoke design toys, such as ones, for instance, Pop Pod is one is designed in a way that allows a dog to nudge it and things like this without using a button. I think sort of, so at the moment, it's just sort of the animal connected to technology individually. You just have this loop between them. And I think really the next stage of this is really if we can connect animals to technology and there's many different animals in many different circumstances alone then why can't we connect animals to each other like why does why does the animal internet not currently exist we get a lot of dogs who are left home alone a lot of animals in zoos who you know are used to maybe larger groups or animals that have to be separated for some unknown reasons for example when you do um, experiments on lab rats often if you do any invasive procedure they have to be on their own for a little bit but rats are super social creatures and so why can't we use technology to safely connect these animals together. And so I see this as really sort of the next frontier in you know, sort of animal computer interaction and animal technology research is to really move beyond just an animal using technology for technology, but an animal using technology for socially and to connect with each other and really sort of how can this get benefit to animals. 
I think animal to animal internet would really be very cool and also then really get this agency thing. I think I would see it even more there because it's not necessarily about interacting with a human, but just doing something for themselves that engages with other animals, which would be fascinating, honestly. I've never even thought about that. Now I'm like, that's true. Why why should the internet only be a human to human platform or human to computer platform otherwise? And there's so many unknowns when you when you start thinking about this and unpacking this further because then you start thinking, okay, you know, I've done so much work on how you build interactive just just the interactive device right for an animal and what would an animal access on very sort of like simplistic level but quite a lot of iterations and a lot of careful interaction design work and then when you think you have these potentially two unknowns because you have two animals so when we were talking before about designing for the unknown you now have even more possible unknowns and so it's so much more to unpack you know, what would an animal want on the internet? What would, if we're building an internet for two dogs, what would two dogs want to do together on the internet? Or would they want to talk to dogs or would they want to talk to other animals? Or, you know, what would they do together? How would this interaction look? You know, because animals interact with each other in such a different way than humans do. So our internet is a lot about this in the moment, about this video calling and talking. Um, but, you know, dogs sniff a lot. So would you need like a smellable internet for a dog? And monkeys groom a lot and grooming forms like a key part of their social behavior. So you, would you have a groom internet? And so you come up with these sort of such a different way of looking at the internet from this. Just kind of changing the definition of what the internet is and can be entirely then. Yeah, and I think this happens in humans, you know, like all this conversation around sort of this metaverse and stuff, even though a lot of this has been around for a long time. We're continually changing the paradigm of what we can do over the internet, and this is aided by technology and what humans want. And I think the same thing can happen with animals, that it can just continually change and evolve and hopefully grow into something that can really support them. And the more we learn, the more it can grow, sort of the idea. And you mentioned that you were designing with your dog. So I just wanted to ask, like in a situation like this, what would co-designing with animals look like? Or what do you think? Yeah, this is, this is a very co complex question, right? Because when you talk about co-designing, it also implies that an animal has a certain level of understanding and that they have they are making choices in the design process, right? And it's very hard to argue that a dog isn't making choice and also a dog is making a choice in this one. So yeah, I don't really know how to answer that, that question. I guess a sort of almost last question I would have is, what is a project by someone else in this field that you, you really are fascinated by or inspired by? So one of my favorite people in this field is a researcher called Dr. Fiona French. In, she's in London Met University and she works with elephants. So in, she works with elephants in ashram in Wales and well, one elephant in particular called Valley. I know she's starting to work with other elephants as well. And elephants are so, so big. They're so huge and they're so strong. You know, they can easily sort of lift so much like tons of weight. And the, but they're so complex, you know, they, they have like more muscles in the trunks than we do in our body. And they, they're so intelligent that I think designing for, you know, uh, an elephant takes such, such different thinking and, you know, such out of your own experiences. And she does work like she built them, for instance, a shower that they could use in their enclosure so they could turn on and off the shower and they didn't like the shower and she... She built them another device recently where they could, it was on a sort of a slider and they could sort of change the the pitch of the music. 
And then she said one day they, they just got tired of it and sort of ripped it down. <laughs> and so she has very, like similar with the monkeys and eating technology, we all face our own challenges in, in this field. But I think she, I really admire her work so much because she designs so beautifully and so carefully and, and so step by step. So when she did with elephants, she explored different textures and looked at sort of, do they want to put their trunk inside of something or how do they feel something or do they need sort of an audio feedback? And so I, I really admire such a careful and sort of very thoughtful and deep work with these elephants. And, uh, I, you know, I always wish I could, I, I could be involved in that as well, because <laughs> she's such, such a wonderful interaction designer and developer. I think the trunk is also such an interesting addition there as something to use to do things. It's not really a hand. It's quite different. And, or maybe it is quite similar. But <laughs> yeah, that's a great example. Recently as well, I've been looking at, I went to the Blair Drummond Safari Park who I work with and we were looking at giraffes and I was thinking to myself, how would I even, so giraffes, have these, the, most of the times they interact with things with this huge, long black tongue. And I thought to myself, oh, if I was going to build technology for them, it'd have to be this tongue interface. And this is so drastically different from how a human uses it. So I think like every time I sort of look at an animal and start to brainstorm and start to think, you know, how would I even begin about this? I discover all these like wonderful different ways of doing things. Yeah, sounds really like quite a journey, quite a fun one at that. I feel like every time I see an animal now, it's going to be a slightly different thought than it has been so far. How would they do things? How would they engage with things? Which I think is nice. I think even in just that much, it's interesting to talk about this field to kind of be a bit more mindful of animals as with more agency, because now I feel like that's something that's in my brain more than it was before after this conversation. So thank you for that. I think it's been a really nice chat and I've learned a lot. Do you have an open question for our listeners? Yeah, so I guess like I've spoken a lot around sort of where I see the future of technology and how I design technology for animals and where this sort of my journey is. But it'd be really wonderful to hear from people sort of what do they really think the future of computers really looks like for animals? I think this is a great question that I'm also going to spend some time thinking about. Think of ways that it could be different. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you if they'd like to know more about the projects you've done or even get in touch with you? Yeah, so my, my name's pretty unique, so, so you can always search my name. I also have my website, just iliana.com, and I'm also on Twitter, just at iliana. So if you want to tweet me like any crazy photos of what you think technology would look like, I would love this. Oh, amazing. Thank you. So like with our previous podcasts as well, this open question will be on our mural board. So if you want to answer or start a discussion about it, feel free to do that. All of Ilyena's links will also be in the description and on the mural board. So if you didn't catch them through the audio, you'll still be able to find them and get in touch with her. Thank you again for coming on this podcast. It was really great to have you. And yeah, hope to speak soon again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.